listening to the Past the Forecast podcast from Wayne 15. Hey there, I'm Adam Salarzik. And I'm Nicholas Ferreri, filling in for Joe Struess. And we're meteorologists at Wayne 15 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And this is Pass the Forecast Podcast. And don't worry, this is not a permanent thing. No matter what, I would love to have Nicholas here more often. But Joe has a well-deserved day off on the day that we're recording this. So we called in our reinforcements. If you remember a few weeks ago, we had uh, Nicholas as a guest on our show. That was, what, over seven episodes ago or so? And asked you to come back on in a, a larger role today. Yeah, I can't believe it. I'm glad to be here for another full show. I can't believe that was seven episodes ago, was, seven weeks ago, yeah, pretty episode, much. Episode 15, I believe it was, and now we're pushing up. This is week 22. Summer is moving along. I can't yes, believe it. it. I don't like that. Yeah, we're going to get into what we really don't like about it here <laughs> in a little bit is the return of some big-time heat. But uh, how have you been doing? Been doing well? Uh, pretty good. I've been loving the heat. I did not like it because I heard someone earlier today talking about Oh, Labor Day is coming. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We get, Slow down. On. Somebody Please. talking about Labor Day already? Please. That is like, <laughs> I, can I not savor summer here? You I just am... got through the 4th of July. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And growing up always, my dad would say, we'd come to July 4th, and he would say, well, I guess the summer's over. And that was the last thing I wanted to hear as a kid because, like, where I grew up in Illinois, when we finished school, we finished school sometimes, you know, almost mid-June. So July 4th, you're only a couple weeks into summer vacation. I don't want to hear yeah. summer vacation was almost over. That's like the for for people, it, it all depends on where you are in the country, yeah. where your school year starts. But growing up in Michigan, yeah, the, July 4th is like two, three weeks into actual summer. Like This is the beginning of summer. Right. Everything else is just a, a little teaser. And now we get to enjoy the heat and stay cool in refreshing ways. Yes, and that's, it has been feeling quite summer-like. Yes, it has been. That's going to be one of our topics today in Tracking the Topics. Tracking the Topics. So the first thing, we're going to get to the heat here in a little bit. Let's talk about something that I find fascinating. Uh, we, I've touched on it before here. I don't know what your feelings are on space, but I love anything space-related. I think it's very cool. It's the final frontier, as they say, obviously, famously. But we've had something that we've been able to see now uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, a, a new comet, Neowise, was discovered in late March. And we've been able to see quite the show that it's been putting on in the morning hours. Before people are even waking up, you got to be an early riser. Mm-hmm. Now we're able to see it in the evening. We've had a couple of good nights to see it. And I've been so glad that we've been getting photos from viewers. You know, we've known that this is visible. And when we give out that information on TV, online, wherever, and we tell people there's something great to see in the sky, uh, we want them to actually see it and enjoy it and not be, you know, be bummed out because they can't see it. Now, certainly there are some challenges with this comet. You have to have a good view. Right now, it's relatively low on the horizon of whatever time you see it. So sometimes if your view is blocked by trees or buildings, uh, it might not be so good. But we have had a number of viewers send in these photos 
where they have been able to see it, getting good pictures, and they've been really happy to see it. So I've been glad that the information we provided, and you did an excellent story just a couple of days ago, really explained this to people with a good video, um, that they've taken that information, our viewers, and put into action and been able to enjoy the nice sky show. Because it is rare that we, we get a nice comment. I remember, I remember, oh, it was a handful of years back, maybe the last time we were able to see a comet of some sort, and it was really neat to see in the sky. It's just one of those things you don't get to see very often. I believe this is the brightest one in nearly a quarter century that we're able to see of this magnitude. Yeah, and that's pretty good. And this was, people are asking me where the name Neowise came from, and it's all because it's a near-Earth object. That, that, was, that part makes sense. Yes, that was discovered by a mission that NASA is using uh, infrared wavelength and a telescope, and it's called the WISE mission. So they combined near-Earth object and the WISE mission and combined them to give us Neowise. So there is your explanation for the name. I didn't know where it came from. Yeah, and no, I didn't know that. I, I did that. not know that piece of information. You would think that near-Earth object would make sense. Right. But then where does WISE come from? Well, now you know it's part of a mission. And and this is a, a – for those that don't know what a comet is, it's a large chunk of space ice that just is in orbit around the sun, and it made its pass near, uh, near Mercury, and now it is moving away from the sun. But the heat from the sun – helped to start to melt some of that ice, give some of the gas, and that's why you see that tail. And this the space rock, essentially, is only about three miles in, in size. So it's large, but in the vastness of space, it's really tiny. Mm -hmm. But uh, for us here on the Earth's surface, wow, looking up at it and seeing it, it's great. And I want people to really, if they head out to see it, Maybe if you have binoculars, take the binoculars, because what I'm hearing is is that, yes, you can see it with your naked eye, but if you have something to enlarge, it'll be even better. It's something as simple as binoculars. Not everybody has a telescope, but exactly. most people have a pair of binoculars, and just that little pair of binoculars can give you a much enhanced view, especially if you want to try and see the tail. I don't know how visible a tail is. I have, unfortunately, not been able to get out and see it yet, but we have until the middle of middle of August is when... We will start to lose the chances to see that. And then it's going to be about 7,000 more years until you see it again. So this is your chance to see Neowise. <laughs> yeah, I was saying uh, yesterday on the news, you know, pick pick whatever time you want to see. If you want to see it now, you want to see it in 7,000 years. I mean, pick whichever time is most convenient for you. If we're still here in 7,000 years, well, that's probably more fascinating than a comet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Still be, you know, plodding along here on the podcast. Yes, we will be. We'll be well over 7,000 episodes at that point. But we talked about the nice evening conditions to see this comet. The beginning of this whole week has been phenomenal. Low humidity. And guess what? We have seen temperatures in the 80s for our highs. A big difference from that stretch of 90s. And it was welcomed, at least in my eyes, to get mainly the break from the humidity. And it was dry. We had some pockets of rain that moved through over the weekend that were some pretty heavy downpours that if you had plans outside, they were slow-moving storms. They could have potentially ruined your plans for the weekend. But overall, the beginning of this week gets probably a 9.5 out of 10 on my rating. Yeah, oh, I'd agree with you. And I think a lot of our 
viewers and listeners feel that same way. If there's one great compliment that I've gotten on our summer weather so far is the fact that we have had a lot of these days, even at times when we've had the higher heat, even days in the 90s, the humidity has not been terrible. You know, we've had a few really sticky, muggy days, but they've been outweighed by some pleasant summertime warmth with comfortable humidity, and that's what we've seen here at the start of this week. Yeah, there's really that stretch towards the end of last week where we really tapped into the humidity, and that's where we saw those constant days of pop-up showers and storms. But before that, we were hitting the 90s and didn't really have too much humidity to give us those rain chances. But these 90s, they're (laughs) they're making their way back in here. Right, and they can wear on you when they're joined with that high humidity and we're going to looking it's looking favorable to seeing the combination once again of heat and humidity and i know that you have some 90 degree stats and so let's let's hear them okay we can do that so you know we've been talking about these on the air i've been pulling the latest numbers been going through all different sorts of data they're getting good all the sound years here. in our we're, we're, we're <laughs> yeah do you like that papers. my papers my the clipboard is also falling down this is a Live to tape podcast. It's good. Okay, so our yearly average 90s. There's a lot of different ways to look at that number. Uh, the best way, and I did this in coordination and communication with the National Weather Service here at local office, to kind of use the data that we use for our average highs and lows. There's a 30-year average, which right now runs from 1981 to 2010. So you look at that period, getting our average for that span, 16 really 15.9, but let's move that up to 16. That's average per year. Average per year, 90s or above. So that will also include triple-digit days. Because I did get a viewer ask that question when we are talking about this on the air. They're like, well, what about the hundreds? Is that included? And I said, yes, yeah, it's 90s or above, including 100 it's been plus. quite some time since we've hit 100, right? Uh, it has. I don't remember when that last uh, we was. We didn't hit it last year, head. if I remember correctly. I don't believe so, because I believe we looked that up last year. Um, and that's not, I would say that's not fairly uncommon for us to go with some rare. years in between. At one point, I think probably the last time we had a triple-digit day, there had been maybe a span of a 1,000-plus days where we hadn't had a triple-digit. So that would have been, you know, three years. So if we do it, and there were some signs that maybe we'd get hot enough over the course of somewhere in mid to late July, as I look at the data as I sit before you, that may not come to pass, but but we'll see. So mid-90s, not the question. No. So we've had so far 17 90-plus days this year. We may pick up another as we record this here on this date, so... Maybe let's let's be optimistic to boost that to 18. Last year we had only 15, so we're already outpacing last year's number. Now the record, this is something. Do you know this? Do you know the record amount of 90s we've received in one year? I'm gonna guess that it's 50 set back in 1983, <laughs> and that's not because I also have probably a very similar sheet com- that you have that has our historical data all the way back to 1911, and I also have that highlighted as the uh, highest number. Is that right? Did I read the... You read that right. <laughs> you are good at reading weather records. I did not You're so good. That. I didn't know you pulled these. Here I think I'm pulling this great piece of weather information for you. I pulled these what, right last... I think I pulled them last week for some... Uh, for a potential heat-related story just to see where yeah. we were at. And it's not quite to the point where we would start 
doing a story necessarily in how many days. Now that we're getting to where we are and the potential, that's where we might start getting a counter up and showing. We already have a counter, but maybe showing it a little bit more often. Right, exactly. And and once you note there, you mentioned that 1911, because uh, that's when official observations began at Fort Wayne. Now, you know I like going back, because we have some weather data that goes all the way back to 1897. So mm-hmm. last night, I went back, I looked at those years, 1897 to 1910, to see if anything surpassed the 50, because we have readings from other spots in the area at, uh, during those years, and there were no comparable 50 or more 90 plus days in a year, even in those early, early records. So that 50 in 1983 for 50, 90 degree or above days, that's that's a hot summer. We had, so that was in 1983 was 50, 84, we had 15, 85, 14, 9, 86, 1987, 19, and then, oh, 1988, let's go up to 49. <laughs> You're right. Just that's that's a very like that was close minimal span and that's that's kind of what you were just hinting at there that you can go a while not saying there's obviously there's no not 90 degree days in that stretch but it's it seems to be much cooler during that stretch and all of a sudden you get a year that you have nearly 50 right and right now we're still in the middle of july we're not even into the, what they call the dog days of summer in August. Right. We got plenty of time to see this number get a boost. You get an extended heat stretch. We'll add to that list really quick. Some of our listeners here might be curious to know what the number was in 2012, because a lot of people remember just how hot and oppressive that summer was. That was a time when we hit 106 degrees. 106 is our highest temperature ever recorded in Fort Wayne. It's happened a few times in our history. Uh, that was, you know, we were watching closely because we had the chance to maybe go above 106 at that point. Never happened. But that summer, 42 days. So impressive, but not as impressive as 1988 or 1983. What do you remember from that summer? I just remember it was so hot for so long. That was a period where it was extended. That was a stretch that really weighed on people. We had heat in, if I remember right, in a couple bursts. There was one hot period. Then there's another hot period, and then in the midst of all that, you threw in the derecho event of 2012, which we talk about so much, that also a lot of people remember when, end of June, so many trees were knocked down, there's so much damage across the area. So that summer 2012 is remembered by people for those two reasons, the derecho and the high heat. That was the summer that I worked. That was, I was in between my freshman and sophomore years of college. And I got a job as a temp worker at a factory. Oh, Huge gosh. respect to those people for yeah. what they. I, I was fortunate to work uh, first shift from 6 a.m. to like 2 p.m. Sometimes a call over until three. It get hot in there as the day went along. Definitely. I could not imagine being the people that came in after me, where the building is already warm. Coming in there at six o'clock. It's not too bad. If it's pushing up near 90 to 100 degrees as it was in Michigan during that same summer, I I was very happy to be waking up early to go to work. Right, yeah. You didn't mind that at all once it got to the afternoon. Yeah, to be in a hot building as it cools down, I'd much rather be in a building as it heats up in that instance. Agreed. Yeah, so hopefully this summer is obviously going to be remembered for multiple things. We'll see how hot we get during this extended stretch and hopefully we do not have a a derecho event like we did right in 2012 exactly that's a widespread 
wind event teamed with thunderstorms for our past the forecast podcast listeners who may not be familiar yes with that's that. 70 sustained 70 mile per hour winds throughout that entire line yeah and I a believe. long last something that occurs yeah. over a long distance as well it's not a short-lived event i think or a i've short seen distance event for example distance wise that could stretch all the way from chicago to virginia yeah to the east coast yeah it, it, it could be that long spanning of a line of storms and those are things you don't mess around with even if you're like oh it's just a little bit of wind that straight line winds, as we've talked about before, they can be just as dangerous as a tornado. Whole different ball game. Yes, it is. But we have a lot of heat that we've seen. We have more heat on the way. And so people are going to get a little hot under the collar, a little bit of sweat. And I discovered something today that says that sweat could somehow, some way, become a way to power things in the future. Let's move into what the hail. What the hail? All right, Nicholas. When I saw this, part of me was like, oh, that makes sense. While the other part of me said, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> so engineers are apparently working to design energy storage systems that are powered by perspiration. So your sweat, essentially. It's basically a battery that will store energy and it's part of your clothing or it could be stuck right to our skin. And our sweat has electrolyte essentially in it because of the salt. I'm not a biology major by any stretch of the imagination. This is just from what I've read and what I understand. And it would, that electrolyte would be the energy charge carrying uh, source for this new device. And it basically goes into what they're calling, or not what they're calling, it is a conductive polymer that is electri electrically conductive. And they use molecules over and over again. And those electrodes help to store the electric charge. So the way I understand this is you'd sit there, you sweat. Your sweat would go onto these electrodes and it could power something. They've only been able to power LEDs for a very brief amount of time once they stick into the washing machine because it's clothes. You want to wash it after you get sweaty and dirty in it. It did not perform as well. So the charges, the strength of it goes down. So it's a work in progress. But this is something I thought of like the human hamster wheel that you see in movies and cartoons of somebody sitting there sweating. Double dare. Yes, double dare <laughs> that you sit there and you're sweating and you start to charge something up. That's immediately what I thought of, even though it's a different concept where it's like maybe something you wear on your wrist. You have to, They'd have to find a way to make sure you get enough charge to charge larger devices. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, at, at first read over of this information. I mean, it is kind of gross. There is a gross component to this, but it makes a lot of sense, you know, from a scientific perspective, use those salts for electricity, battery power, you know, battery power is limited. That's not a resource that is renewable. So here we have something that uh, as long as there are people, there are going to be people who sweat. If this can generate power, generate on a bigger scale, this could be a great option. Plus, you're not getting when a battery's done, it still has all those harmful chemicals that can leach into the ground, cause problems. So, 
If you could get a sweat-powered device or find some way to store the electricity generated by your sweat, or at least find uh, an option to use this for things that use minimal power, I mean, it seems very beneficial. So what kind of things that you, you mentioned, things that use minimal power? The yeah. first thing I think of are like, I have this pair of wireless earbuds that I use whenever I work out. Would I be able to somehow charge those while working out so that the battery would technically never die? There's a couple factors here. One, I got to be working out hard enough to be working up a sweat, which if I go out on a walk, I'm not nearly burning up enough compared to what I do if I'm doing a hard cardio session. Right. And plus, everybody sweats differently. I'm sure, like, obviously there's people that sweat more and sweat less, but let's get into, I'm not going to dig too deep into this, this is more of a biology session, but everybody's sweat is just different molecularly, I would assume. Somebody might sweat more electrolytes out than another person. That would have a major impact on trying to charge up a battery. It all, I think it makes sense. I, I think that makes sense too. I, I've, I'm interested by the point you bring up about your wireless earbuds, because that may make this a little bit more complicated. Yes. As opposed if they were wired. But that's and I just like wired earbuds to begin with. Oh yeah, just they cut period. in and out occasionally. I, <laughs> I completely agree. It's just I don't want to have to deal with a wire and running it. Well, right, and that's and that's the whole advantage of the wireless. But I I feel like it would be harder to charge something that is wireless while you're wearing it. You know, while you're in action. If it was something wired, I feel like that would be more easily engineered to charge while in use. So it could be something for if people are biking or running and they have reflectors on. Maybe they're doing this in the evening or at night, and that would help light them up maybe? Maybe. I could see that. little Because they're doing it with LEDs. It's just there's lots of – science is amazing. Right. you got to begin somewhere, and those seem like good starting points. You can't, you can't sit there and somehow have enough energy to charge a car or – on that scale exactly yeah. so you got that's start not coming right around the corner really tiny and maybe it's something where it somehow does something with your shoes i i don't know who knows what's down the line but this is apparently in development right keep an eye out for the new workout gear that stores your sweat uses it for battery energy for something later i don't know so let's just keep that in mind it was a a little bit of more of a disgusting conversation in terms <laughs> hey, remember, of bodily functions. You heard it here first. Yes. And that is definitely going past the forecast. <laughs> uh, let's move on to something that is weather-related. Mega flash lightning. This is a new one. This is something that was confirmed recently, I think towards the end of last month uh, in June, by the World Meteorological Organization had declared two mega flashes in South America as world record setters. There is a complex of storms that had a spider-like discharge uh, that stretched from southern Brazil or stretched from eastern Argentina, which is near Brazil, all the way to the Atlantic. It was a horizontal distance of roughly 440 miles, which is the same distance from Chicago to Toronto or Dallas to Memphis. 
There was also a second flash that lasted for over 16 seconds. That is incredible. Think of lightning. You only see it for one to two seconds, if that. Those are some of your longer strikes. And imagine how you get freaked out when you see that at home. A somewhat longer uh, lightning bolt, you know, as a storm's moving through and it's the middle of the night. And then imagine something 16.73 seconds. You'd sit there and you think something tragic had happened. Exactly. Say, what was that? And and this is, I have to assume, it's horizontal, so it's cloud to cloud. And we, we see it sometimes in the U.S. based on this, this article. And it, it, it has happened mainly in places that get uh, MCSs or mesoscale convective uh, systems. Uh, we've seen them move through here. The large complex of storms has lots of energy in it. And it, it needs that energy to be able to build up this electric charge to give us the lightning. So it can bounce from place to place and span over these large areas. But down towards Brazil and South America, they have not as much steering winds. So storms will sit over a certain place and continue to grow and get bigger and bigger. So they're bigger down there, but we still can see them here. It is, they are large, large systems. One of the longest uh, in the U.S. was a 200-mile-long discharge above Oklahoma, and then there was another one that went 300 miles that occurred in a similar area that went from Oklahoma down towards about Dallas-Fort Worth. That's about an hour-long drive. And I guess when you think about this, this really all makes sense that where these mega flashes have occurred in the United States, it also correlates to the places that we think of for some of the strongest most severe storm activity across the plains. And these things are bright, too. It illuminated an area four times larger than the state of Connecticut. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Isn't that an incredible factoid? Mega flashes are appropriately named. I think we need to go back to the draft Joe and I did recently for our favorite weather phenomenon. I think weather flash or uh, mega flashes needs to... uh, hop up there somewhere on our board definitely of top picks but uh, there was there was a storm i remember i had experience that had these long flashes and, and cloud to cloud i think is sometimes cooler than cloud to ground cloud to ground obviously much more dangerous because uh, it can strike people yeah, absolutely but cloud to cloud that's where you get some of those cool formations jumping from spot to spot. Yeah, and people sit mesmerized watching that lightning. And the way this is able to be seen and be discovered now, I'm sure this has happened in the past, but it's easier to see and verify because of the technology that we have, the GOES-16 satellites, Mm. or the GOES satellites. Now there's two of them up there. I thought you were going to say the ring doorbells. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Those Those seem to be capturing everything. Those can help. The ring and nest doorbells. So, yeah, the the ring doorbells, you could see the lightning flash here (laughs) over at your neighbor's house. You could build a chain of that lightning strike and see how far it goes. That's that's from the ground. We can see and verify, but we're also able to verify from the sky. And using the tools that are on those satellites are able to have better lightning detection. Uh, The things we can see with our GOES satellites are phenomenal. And lightning is one of the coolest things to be able to see from space. And 
that's an important thing for people to know. I think we know that as meteorologists. When they launch these GO-16 satellites, you can say, oh, well, well, it's another satellite, so what? But we knew as meteorologists that it wasn't just going to be these you know, greater, uh, more beautiful-looking pictures, higher-resolution uh, images, but that we were also going to get additional data from the other sensors and devices on the, on the satellites. And here's one example of how this is benefiting us. We were promised, you know, this is going to lead to better forecasts in different ways. Well, here's a, here's a great little nugget that comes from that. It just technology continues to blow my mind away. Lots of technology in what the hell today with the sweat-powered things, sweat-powered workout gear, and also the lightning and the GOES-16 satellites. Technology, as I've already said, is amazing. Let's move on to hits and misses. Hits and misses. We knew that it was going to rain on Sunday. I imagined it being the pop-up garden variety showers and storms that you typically see, but the coverage was more than what we probably ended up going with our forecast, 20%. I think it was probably closer in the grand scheme of things to a 30 or 40 by the time it was all said and done, and that's the challenge of forecasting in hot and humid conditions. Yeah, this is a really tough time of year and over the weekend, a tough setup to determine just where and how much rain was going to fall. It, it, it was, and, and where it fell, it, it was torrentially mm-hmm. falling. I, I was driving down 69 at one point through one of those cells, and I could barely see in front of me. I went from going 70 on 69 down to 35, 40 miles per hour just to make sure I stayed on the road and even turned on the hazards to let people know behind me that, it is, it is coming down here, so be ready to slow down. And, and anytime you have those, you got to watch out for localized flooding, and it's falling down so fast mm-hmm. that hydroplaning is a major concern. So we missed a little bit on the coverage, but we did know it was going to rain. Yeah, my yard loved it. <laughs> a oh, lot I was of so glad. Loved. I got some good downpours, and I was really glad to get them. I was sitting there. I saw all the rain on the radar. I think it completely missed the airport again. <laughs> As happens, some uh, people talk a lot about a force field being around Fort Wayne blocking a lot of weather from reaching the city, but it's really maybe around the airport because we can get some places just soaking wet, and then the airport, you get the official total back, and it's a tenth of an inch, hundredth of an inch. One of our weather interns was just telling me that yesterday. She's like, I wanted to see what the airport had, and I went, and they had barely anything. It was. It's frustrating for us because we know that places are getting rain, but... It just so happens that the place that is officially keeping our data and our records for the day for the city of Fort Wayne is almost the only spot in Allen County that did not get at least a half inch of rain, if not an inch, inch and a half, like some places did on Sunday. So that was our miss uh, for the last week. Our hit for me on Monday, so I forecasted on Sunday night, Monday, 84 degrees, right on the money, 84 Low humidity was also it was it was a gorgeous day. Yes, I remember you were really excited when you came into the weather center on Monday and you saw that that number, that eighty four that you hit. You know, your magic number, and boom, that was where we were. Well, I saw eighty three for the longest time. Yeah, and then the official climate report came out, and then the temperature actually bumped up. I think pretty close to the start of the five o'clock show, and I saw eighty four on the climate report, eighty four on the map, and I was like, stop. No more. Don't need to go any warmer. Stay. 
and it did. So there's our hit. Sometimes we do hit it right on the money, but I always like to give myself a plus three, minus three. Oh, that's good. On I go, most I days. go two, because that was what it used to be in school for me. Was if you went, oh, if you went more than two above or two below on your forecast, then you had to write a journal entry. So you had to explain why you, why you, why busted. you were too cool, you were too warm. Why, yeah, why you busted that forecast? So in my Which, mind, I still go back to that, but. Three's not bad either. I, I'm okay with the, the three, which is why I give it to myself. There's certain situations where if we're in a pattern that is consistent in the persistence forecasting, obviously you expect to be more accurate in that in that realm. But I always like the I always like the three. Give myself an extra degree on either end. But I will let you bask in your glory of exactness for uh Monday. Thank you. I'm sitting here bowing. <laughs> since then, yeah, yeah since my... then, uh, I've been a little bit uh, too warm on these forecasts. We've had some nice days, so they've been hot summer days, but have not been as hot as I've expected. And it's been an interesting situation because what we've seen earlier this summer, we've had these nice low humidity days, and boy, the air has just responded with warming up so efficiently and so significantly above a lot of the model day that comes in, but yet we've been underperforming some of our recent days. I think some of that on our uh, Tuesday morning, people may remember that was cool. We dropped down in the 50s. That was even farther than we had expected to drop. And so I'm thinking at the end of the day, when all was said and done, it was that cooler start. Harder to recover. That made it harder to recover and harder to get as hot as what I thought when I made that forecast Monday night. And then I'm waiting to see what happens here on this Wednesday as we record this to see if we get into the 90s as expected. We're going to be close. We know that because we're, we're close as we speak. It, it's it, with I think we have mentioned it in the past on this podcast, uh, and Nicholas alluded to it there. And I, I think it is part of the factor is the humidity when it's dry air – the air heats up faster. Whenever it's more humid, it takes a lot more to get us to a certain point, which is why it's nice whenever we start off in the 70s and we're forecasting mid-90s with our lows in the 70s. We, we can pretty easily jump up 20 degrees if we have a day of sunshine. So that's where it's a little bit easier. But as you just said, getting down in the 50s and then not knowing if you're going to have enough dry air in place because it's it's not like there's no humidity out there. It's just right. it's comfortable. Right. right. So there is moisture out there that could be hindering our warming. And we'll we'll see how the end of this week goes as we start to get more humidity, more heat, mm-hmm. and the return of the summer-like showers and storms that could pop up, especially as we head into the weekend. Let's check the inbox. It's the past the forecast inbox. This week's question comes to us from Pam. She sent it into past the forecast at wayne.com. P A S T T H E F O R E C A S T at W A N E dot com. She asked, What is the heat index? Wonderful question, Pam. It's topical. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Seasonally appropriate. Yes. Yeah, so, so break us break it down for us. What is what is the heat index? So think of it as the summertime equivalent of the wind chill, pretty much. I mean, it's the heat index takes into account the temperature, the humidity, and the impact on your body. How is this feeling to your body? Uh, you know, when you have those high humidity days and you sweat. Hey, we're bringing sweat, it full this is, circle. Yeah, this this podcast brought to you by sweat. Unfortunately. <laughs> 
when you sweat, okay, remember that's the way that your body cools off. The sweat evaporates and you get that cooling effect. But on a day that is really humid, you sweat and the air is saturated. It, the air is so humid, it cannot accept any more water molecules in it. So that sweat just stays on your skin, you can't cool down, and you feel hotter than the actual air temperature. So just like in winter, it's the winds and the temperature and how it feels to your skin. In the summer, it's the heat index, it's the heat, the humidity, how it feels to your body. Remember, when we talk about heat index, it's just the feeling to you. Uh, and other living objects would apply to some extent to pets and animals. I'm not sure whether the exact, if the human heat the, index equals the, the, correlation the pet, there. but there, there's something there. Um, but uh, it, it doesn't apply to other things, you know, uh, objects are just a, a tree. A tree doesn't sweat. A tree is obviously strained by the heat and the humidity, but in different a, ways. a tree doesn't know, oh, it feels like. Uh, 98 to me right now, but it's only 92 outside. That'd be concerning if they could. <laughs> yeah. If the trees start talking to you and you see the mega flashes of lightning, man, run. Be ready. I think that was a perfect explanation. Yeah. I don't think I can add anything to it. I think I did a story on it a week or two ago. Very similar to what you just explained. That's that's the natural way to explain heat index. It's the evaporative cooling uh, process is very similar to whenever you step out of the shower mm -hmm. whenever you have the and water you on you so cold and you feel chilly even in a even on a hot summer day yeah so uh anything else you want to talk about yes i have breaking survivor news breaking survivor oh yeah. no i don't even know this and i, you I don't I know it. regularly I was, watch yeah well then i don't know that you're gonna like what oh, i have no. to tell with tell you i've been preparing myself based on the current state of the world yes yeah, so you're not Surprised then to learn that as of this recording, Survivor just last night was pulled from the CBS fall schedule. Oh, they apparently shame. had started filming this next season back early in the spring before the COVID-19 crisis hit. They stopped production just as they had stopped production with Amazing Race with the hopes that Survivor would begin filming even prior to now, but I guess up to this point in July, there was still some hope if they were able to get back out there. I think they're doing this one in Fiji. They'd be able to get the shows on the air for fall. And right now, since they obviously don't know when they're going to get back, they're just going to take it off the fall schedule. Amazing Race now. Are you an Amazing Race fan? I, I have watched Amazing Race. It's been a while, but I am a fan of the Amazing Race. And I love Amazing Race even more than I love Survivor. Survivor, I've gone in and out over the years, as we've talked about in the past, but Amazing Race, I love. They have an edition that's already done. It's already complete. The edition they were filming in the spring was going to be the one after that. So we know that Amazing Race will be on the fall schedule. It's gonna. It was going to air right after Survivor on Wednesday night, so now it's pushed up. So maybe, so what it sounds like, Amazing Race is more of a winter CBS lineup show. Maybe they're hoping to switch the two? Well, I think definitely their hope will be... That's their plan, at least. ...that they can get, you know, get Survivor back on come winter, come spring at the latest, all depending when they're able to get back out there and refilm. Uh, but... We know that Amazing Race will fill in, give you your reality fix. Okay, that's good. That's I one of the wonder, reality shows that I enjoy. There's there's like 
two or three that I enjoy, and that's at least two of them. And I wonder what it's going to be like when we watch it, uh, going through what we've gone through with the virus in the past months, seeing people crowded on a plane, running through a crowded airport, uh, being in these strange places, and just being close to people. You know, as we watch so many shows that are on right now that were recorded, obviously, before the virus hit, now you see these people in large studios with big audiences, and there's a point that feels like it's so normal, but yet it's so weird because you're like, whoa, you are too close to each other. You know, so watching an amazing race pre-COVID era in a COVID time, uh, I wonder if people will latch onto it, be happy to have some sort of great escape television or whether I just it'll want, hit differently. I just want new content. Yes. That's all I want. I, 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 I just want new content for the shows that I enjoy. I'm okay with waiting a little bit longer if that's what it takes. I just want new content. I don't want these shows to go by the wayside. And that's what's really interesting here. This show is the first of any network to be pulled from the fall schedule. And you have to expect that there are going to be more shows. I mean, some shows are going back into production. We were just announcing yesterday on our Wayne 15 News that Bold and the Beautiful is starting up with new episodes next week, which seems almost incredible that you could be taping a dramatic show like that and be back on the air with new episodes. Um, you have to wonder how the rest of the... Is there going to be an L.A. bubble for the, the for the movie stars? Yeah, you wonder, don't you? Because they're having trouble in California. So I do wonder how many more shows we're going to see go by the wayside. Some networks have prepared very well. They've you know, pushed back shows that were going to air in the spring, like CBS is doing here with Amazing Race. I hear they also have a season of um, Blood and Treasure. Did you ever watch that? I it was on last summer. That. that was pretty good. That's worth a watch if it does come back. Right now it's not on the schedule at any point, but at some point they're going to air those. Um, and so other networks have either saved shows or they've purchased shows from other countries that might be of interest Ooh. to us here in America. So there should be new content coming. may not be as much as what we'd otherwise be used to in a fall season, but uh, this will be the next thing. You know, for us here at a TV station, it, TV's on our minds, mm -hmm. and every day it's a different story. Now as we had, you know, farther along in July, you got to imagine more and more shows would have normally been coming back to start recording and filming again. Gosh, I gotta wonder just how many shows will be affected. Yeah, and TV obviously a big part of our pop culture and uh, and our world. Uh, it's a little bit smaller of a part now, but it's still it's that thing that you look for for normalcy, right? Because we don't we don't have sports, although we have some sports. We They're have stuff trying to come back right. in. We have these golf games. We have these races with barely any fans in them. We have these soccer games. I was talking to somebody about. Uh, hearing the piped-in fan noise when watching soccer games because I heard they were mm -hmm. going to do this with different sports events and I was like what's happening here I'm like I don't see any fans but I'm hearing all this noise I'm like this must be it this must be the piped-in fan noise. It, it did it brought some normalcy to the games but boy it was quite different different viewing experiences for sure well thank you so much Nicholas for filling in, you will be our on-call in case anybody is sick. Great. Maybe. I stand by at the ready. Joe, come back soon. Hope you've been enjoying your time off. Yes, well-deserved for Joe. Make sure to leave us a review and rating, however you may be listening. And we'll see you next time as we try and be... 77% right about the weather this week. 
This has been Past the Forecast Podcast from Wayne 15. <laughs>